What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Welcome to Real Souls with yours truly, Peggy Bennett. Um, I'm super excited about this show today. You might hear me say that uh, a few times, but... Um, today, I um, actually got a newsletter from this Brendan Burns, and at the time, I didn't know actually even what he did, but I read that newsletter, and it hit home so much for me personally, and I knew it would um, for my clients and my audience on my podcast, so I immediately reached out to him and just said, can you be on my show? So I'm super thrilled to have him. Welcome, Brendan. Thank you. It's very exciting to be here. <laughs> um, and a little about him. He is an entrepreneur, influencer, and life and business coach based in New York City. Brendan helps people achieve their dreams and maximize their potential so they can have a so they can live happy and a fulfilling life. Brendan, who holds his JD and MBA from Cornell University, started his career in investment banking and then at a hedge fund on Wall Street. After years of research and training, he left Wall Street to become a high-performance life and business coach. Brendan has found fulfillment and happiness since making the switch and now helps others to do the same. Through his online programs, one-on-one -on -one offerings, group coaching, and live events, Brendan helps people achieve their high level of success, fulfillment, and most importantly, happiness. So uh, I have to ask you right away, I'm so intrigued, from Wall Street to life and business coach, how did you make that leap? How did you pull that trigger? Mm, it's a great question and something that I never thought I would do. I grew up um, outside New York City, uh, both parents, lawyers, grandfather, law and businessman. And I was always very focused on accumulating wealth and just living that sort of lifestyle that I thought was kind of really the only way to live and definitely the only way for me to live. And uh, very unplanned, I got to Wall Street. I was working in investment banking and I had a little bit of a relationship crisis on my hands because I was living with someone and we were planning to get engaged and then married. And uh, I wake up one morning and completely unbeknownst to me, she had been very unhappy in the relationship and um, starts throwing my clothes into the hallway. Oh, and, no. and uh, at the same time, I'm getting emails from my company, the, the bank I was working at that, you know, they need to move me into a different group or maybe fire me. At the same time, I'm getting crazy emails and text messages from my family members who were all very abusive. And I didn't even know what that word meant at the time. And but there was some part of me on some level that knew 
that I needed to make some kind of changes to my personal life if I wanted to uh, retain the relationship, the job, and the family, uh, or at least one of the three. I like having <laughs> them all. And so that's what really led me um, with a very open mind and heart to Barnes & Noble self-help section, um, completely humbled uh, after thinking I had everything lined up perfectly with the, all the job and relationship stuff. And then I just said, well, obviously this is not working, so I need to make some big changes. And with a very open mind, because I had always been very anti-therapy and coach, I didn't even know what coaching was, and I thought it was all taboo, and I didn't need it. Um, and thankfully, for whatever reason, I was able to be very open-minded, and I got a book on um, abuse, emotional abuse, and then you know they have the quiz, and it's like, okay, you know, if you're four out of these twenty, you're emotionally abusive, and I was like nineteen out of the twenty. Um, oh my goodness! One that, like, only applied to women, so I was like, I couldn't be that. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, this is um, this is an extreme case, and you know, extreme measures are required here. So I actually tracked down and hunted down the author of this book, who was retired and living in rural Texas, and somehow was able to mail a handwritten check to her and convince her to get on the phone with me for a short conversation, which she thought was a one-time call, and turned into five years of working together one-on-one -on -one and completely learning everything that is possible to learn about emotional abuse, relationships, all these things. Again, completely mm. as a side project for my own benefit right. while I retained the Wall Street job. Wow. And then it, it was almost like, you know, there was always part of me and I had friends from business school at Cornell who were into entrepreneurship. So they would send me books by famous entrepreneurs and I would just be generally interested in that along the lines of being interested in business. But there started to be a connection that started to happen between the personal development work I was doing and then some of these entrepreneurs who were a little bit more spiritual or into growing as a person and then finding uh, work that they loved to do was something the entrepreneurs talked about. And then the constellation began to form of personal development, surrounding myself with healthy people, chasing a career that I would be more passionate about, mm. which then linked up with the final piece, which was when I was in law school, I read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and that book talks all about starting your own location-independent business where you can work remotely, delegate the work, travel full-time. There's a famous quote he said, which is, get paid in U.S. dollars, pay your employees in Indian rupees, and spend your money in uh, South American pesos. <laughs> Love that. And, yeah, and uh, not every um, not every country in South America uses the peso, but I think everyone understands what right. he means by that complete freedom, and that very much appealed to me. And so, doing the inner work on myself through relationships initially turned into okay, what do I want to do with my life? How can I be happier? And I went to my boss one day at the hedge fund, and I said to him, "Look, you're paying me a lot of money, and I'm not going to complain about that, but I'm just it's too much work, and I want more vacation." Um, I know this might sound ridiculous, but what if you paid me half of what I'm making now, which is still like strong six figures, um, but I could work half. <laughs> and he just <laughs> laughed and he's like, that's ridiculous. Um, he was he was hoping that I would do the opposite. He said, I, I want to pay you a million dollars next year, but I need you to work that hard. And that was something that I had no interest in. And I'm really blessed, even though I had a very toxic, abusive addiction late in childhood with my parents and stepfather, 
Um, one of my biggest blessings was my stepfather was uh, a very wealthy seven figure guy, uh, a lawyer who had these Rolls Royces and Bentleys and a limo and a driver and not lucky because I enjoyed those things, but because I learned at a very early age, 16 years old, that this is not the answer to happiness. Mm. And so then we fast forward to me working mm. in the Wall Street era. It was very easy for me to let go of what some people call the golden handcuffs mm -hmm. because I knew that it's like, you know, if I'm not happy in my whatever car, Camry, I don't have a car because I live in New York City. But if you're not happy in your Toyota, buying a Rolls Royce does not make you happy. Absolutely. And uh, you're just the same person. You're just in a car with more expensive leather and a bigger engine. Um, so I, I was very fortunate to learn that lesson at a young age. So um, the economy also wasn't doing that great when I was getting ready to leave the fund and do this full time. I knew I wasn't going to be getting a big bonus. So I wasn't even leaving that much money on the table. And I went to a self-improvement seminar. A lot of people have heard of Tony Robbins, obviously. Yes. Uh, I went to his event. And I wouldn't say that was the whole turning point for me. I would say that was the icing on the cake mm. because I had been doing inner work for about three, four years at that point. And then I went to that event and it's just like massive energy, souped up environment. Right. And it came back and I was like, oh, hell no, I'm out. And I started like going home at noon and working on my own podcast and writing blogs posts and it was the end of year 2016 and uh the founder of the fund called me into his office and said look uh this is not a place to coast i don't know what's going on but i don't think this is like the right fit for you anymore and it was a really amazing first time in my life because i think i was so good at acting not only in the wall street world but i had taken on this persona of how can i just act in a way to get everyone to like me and just fit a certain mold and always sort of pretend to be someone that I'm not to either get the woman, get the job, get the approval, get the, you know, whatever I thought I wanted, mm -hmm. a very achievement, success oriented lifestyle. And it was amazing and so freeing and like huge weight coming off my shoulder to just be like, yeah, I definitely don't belong here. Like I am passionate about hedge funds and investing, but, and I didn't tell him this exactly, but I was like, I would don't want to work with you. Like he was a negative guy. It was not a good environment. He didn't want me to be doing the things that I actually wanted to do. Like if I stayed in hedge fund world, it would be business development, traveling, meeting with investors, being having more power and control. I never wanted to be that like little low level analyst in the closet reading financial statements all day. So it was like, all right, goodbye. And I was so happy to quit. And then the next day I wake up feeling like I'm having a heart attack because I have no income anymore. <laughs> I live in New York City and I'm paying exorbitant rent, you know, $4,000 studio in Chelsea. And, you know, I pay more for dog walkers and my gym membership than most people probably pay for their mortgages on their own. <laughs> so I had to do a lot of financial restructuring, which was also a very valuable exercise. If you ever listen to Kevin Kelly, he's the co-founder of Wired Magazine. He talks about this exercise called doing self-induced poverty to realize how much money we actually don't need, which is mm. can be helpful to push people to go do a job that they're passionate about. Because it's like, you know, I was just meeting with a friend last night. He works. He's an investment banker at Deutsche Bank. And um, he's like, I see him basically we get coffee like once a year. And this was the one where I was like, quit your job. And he goes, no, but I'm getting my bonus check in eight weeks. And I was like, you said that <laughs> last year, eight weeks before your bonus check. So uh, tremendous opportunity and life experience to make that jump. 
And I, I kind of knew my calling was to do this work uh, after having a lot of success working through my own stuff and finding a relationship and finding freedom and happiness and all these things. And to be able to share that with other people is my calling. And I would do it for free, but there so happens to be a market for this so I can make it my profession as well. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that story. Gosh, how inspirational. Gosh. Yeah. So um, what really hit home on this newsletter I received from you is um, the title was 10 Relationship Tools to Use When Feeling Anxious. And you and I have both read... Uh, the book Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. And I actually was able to see him talk about his book live at um, the Matchmaking Institute. I don't know, what was this, four or five years ago? And I really uh, love his book. And um, this, this hit home when you, when you um, listed the 10 um, for, even me personally, after leaving a 20-year marriage, I went into the dating arena and I completely felt anxious. So to summarize quickly, there's three types um, that he calls an attached, secure, um, avoidant, and anxious styles. And we're going to talk about today um, um, tools when you are feeling anxious. And we're going to get right into it because I don't want to waste time because these are so, so good. Um, The number one is own your needs and speak up when they are not being met. The right person will happily give you what you need. Um, Do you want to elaborate on that one? Absolutely. So it's funny because I'm actually rereading Attached right now. And for the listeners who haven't picked it up yet, it's a it's a must read, in my opinion, for anyone looking to better understand their own relationship or their relationship patterns. And one of the things that Attached talks a lot about is that if you look at the breakdown, like you said, there's the secure, which is about 50% of the population, anxious is about 20%, and then the remaining 30 more or less are in the avoidant pattern of shying away from intimacy and being more distant and unavailable. Um, However, what Attached really clearly explains is that even though it's only 30% of people are avoidant, it's actually something like 70 plus percent of the dating pool because secure people for the most part are in very long-term relationships, even with avoidance or anxious because they're secure and can kind of hold that relationship together for five, 10, 20 years. So you have the dating pool is actually mostly anxious as an avoidance, um, but especially avoidance because those are the ones who enjoy being single and having excessive independence and space. And, you know, very often you see this in, in the year that we live in with a lot of like solopreneurs who maybe have a, their single parent or have a dog or something and their, their whole life is their career. So there are tons and tons of avoidance out there, especially in the single and dating pool. So listeners, especially if you're anxious, beware of the avoidance because those are really <laughs> tough. You know, that, that can be a very a big recipe for disaster. Um, so uh, the first tool that I mentioned, yeah, own your needs and speak up when they're not being met is all about sort of uh, contrasting uh, modern dating advice that is wrong, which says, you know, if you're feeling needy or distant or whatever, you have to go inward. It's about you. You have to learn how to not be so needy. You, you don't want to o- overexpress your needs and be too reliant on a partner. And what Attached says is that's all wrong and that 
having needs is really important. And it's important to communicate those needs and express your interest in spending time together because a secure partner um, enjoys closeness and will give you what you need. And if you don't own your needs, if you don't speak up, um, you're going to attract avoidant people into your life who are like, oh, this is great. They don't really need to spend a lot of time together or they're cool, just like, you know, whatever, not talking on the phone that often. But if you're either anxious or secure, you're going to crave intimacy and closeness. And if, you, and if you're dating someone who is very distant and doesn't want to spend a lot of time together, uh, doesn't want to do phone calls, doesn't want to go on travel vacations with you or some, stuff of that nature, doesn't want to, a big avoidant quality is not introducing you to their friends or their family. They want to keep that at bay. And if you're dating someone like that, um, you need to make sure that you speak up and say, hey, I'm not hanging out at the level that I'm looking for in a relationship. And you know, you haven't introduced me to your friends or we, I, you know, we've been dating six months and you haven't even told your parents about me. What, what's going on here? And that's basically the way to test to see if it's a good person for you or not. Because if you don't speak up, it'll be status quo, but you're not really happy in getting your needs met. Um, and if you do speak up, I think people are afraid to speak up because they're afraid of pushing the other person away. Right. And what I say is great. Send that person running off to the hills exactly. so you can create space here for a secure person to slide in. Isn't that the truth? Um, yeah. Perfect. So number two, watch the subconscious desire to date avoidant, unhealthy, or unreliable people. You deserve a healthy, stable, and secure partner. So this one is all about confusing love and passion with an activated attachment system. So for example, if you are anxious attachment style, you will feel uh, an activated system and emotions and hormones and all these things flying through your body uh, when you don't hear from that avoidant partner. Have you ever in your life dated someone who's very unavailable and then you get that text message from them that you've been waiting for all day and you jump up out of your seat and your heart starts Oh, that racing? used to be me. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so you know it well. I know it well. Many of my clients and former clients know that feeling well. And we think, oh, there's the spark. Look at that chemistry that I have with that person. And then they ghost you or they disappear. Right. And you, say, and you crave them. It's like, you know, you, you crave that. Um, but it, it's really your attachment system being activated, saying, danger, danger. This is a bad partner for you. And then he swoops back in or she swoops back in. You're like, oh, okay, they're actually still there for me. Everything's fine. That is a roller coaster of emotions that is not a healthy system. So, what happens is this is such a subconscious um, pattern, though. People are not very aware that this is happening until I read Attached and I was like, what? This explains all my relationships. <laughs> I've made it all avoidance. This is a total disaster. And then the, the corollary point is um, building uh, attraction and chemistry with a secure partner can be a little bit more difficult because it may seem very boring at first. You have a lot in common, so there's less certainty. There's not as much you know, uncertainty, which you need some passion for, but that can be seen in like differing interests rather than differing values or someone who's totally unavailable for a relationship. So um, a lot of people, if for anyone listening out there, watch that desire to crave avoidance and know, the know that that is not love and passion. That is your body and mind telling you like danger, stay away. That is so, yeah. Uh, number three, there are many potential partners that are suitable for you. Don't buy into the false notion that there is just one on, that there is only one person for you. Great thing to keep in mind for someone who's anxious when they start dating someone, um, even if you're dating someone secure or avoidant or anxious, whatever, um, 
the quality of anxious people is that they ruminate and think a lot and obsess over their current partner. They worry that their partner will abandon them. They worry that their partner doesn't like them or doesn't want to be with them for long term. And I would for sure encourage you to do your own inner work around working through those limiting beliefs or a lack of self-love or whatever's going on there. But something to remind yourself of is that whoever you happen to be dating at this moment, if you're worried, oh, do they like me? Will this work or not? Keep in mind that there are 8 billion people on this planet, (laughs) more or less 4 billion of the opposite sex or 4 billion of your own sex if you're um, into same-sex dating. But the point is, There are so many people out there, and I think we forget that. Maybe not billions who fit what you're looking for in a relationship, but it's it's a very anxious quality to overcommit to someone because you have this uh, need to be really close and have a lot of security with someone. Um, So you meet someone who's okay, and then you cling on to them, and you try to make it work no matter what, um, forgetting that there are many potential partners out there. Not only is whoever you happen to be dating at this moment Um, one of many potential suitable partners for you, but it might not even be a suitable partner for you. Um, Because, you know, this whole thing about, oh, there's the one and fate and it's meant to be. Um, On some level, I agree that there can be fate that brings people together, but I do not agree that there is only one partner out there for me. I think that there are many people who are not suitable for me and then probably a smaller subsect, but of many people who are. And to remember that when you're in a relationship with someone can help you feel a little bit more secure. You're not trapped in this relationship. This partner isn't your only chance at love. It can help sort of calm down the anxious activation properties. I agree. I actually agree that uh, even about soulmates, um, there's several soulmates that come in and out of your life. And sometimes you can meet a soulmate and that sometimes isn't your forever after. So um, I totally believe that. Um, we kind of touched on this, but I want you to touch on it again because yeah. it's so important, yeah. is number four, a relationship with a healthy partner may feel relatively mundane at first. Give it some time for intimacy and connection to develop. That quick spark, quote unquote, spark you're looking for may actually be an unhealthy desire to have your attachment system activated. Now, this I just want to put on a billboard (laughs) this is number four is probably because just think about this I'm one of my things I do is I'm a matchmaker so I'm always saying to my singles keep an open mind because they put so much weight in that first date so Mm. um uh I sent this newsletter off to a few of my bachelor clients and (laughs) just um but anyway um, talk a little more about this. Yeah. So it's something like you said, we touched upon in number two, which is kind of the opposite, which is the desire to, uh, for an anxious to date an avoidant or vice versa. And I see it all the time. I, I do some relationship coaching, some couples counseling. So I see it a lot, especially with someone who's single. And let's say they've been single for a long time. You find this a lot with avoidance, looking for what's called the phantom partner. Um, the person who doesn't exist, the perfect partner. And so they go on a date and they say, um, either there's no sparks, a lot of women and men will blame it on looks, for example, Um, really objectifying the potential partner. But I I think on a deeper and subconscious level is you're looking for that activated attachment system because you have confused that for um, love and passion. And it's something that we've kind of been raised in the United States 
with all these movies that we've watched over the last several decades about people fighting for the whole movie. And then for some reason at the end, the guy comes in with flowers and a postcard and they live happily ever after. <laughs> you know, there are no movies about like a couple that just hangs out and has a great time the whole movie. And then they're just continue to be secure and married because it doesn't make for a very entertaining <laughs> movie. But at the same time, that's what healthy, secure relationships are. There's low drama, low conflict. You have people that are generally best friends who understand each other well, um, really not fighting a lot. Or if they do, they, they know how to repair well. Uh, I think that's another myth is people say, oh, you're not supposed to fight in a relationship. And oh, I never fight with him. But that's usually a bad thing. You're probably uh, repressing your, your anger, or your emotions and your feelings about your needs. But yeah, that's the thing. So a relationship with a healthy partner often seems very mundane at first. There's no spark. There's no connection. Um, I, I felt nothing. You know, it's like you see, I, I know people, I've coached people, they go on a date with uh, five guys and they always narrow it down to two. Um, there's the guy who's 45 and lives in his parents' basement and was a doctor or something or wanted to be this or that, works as a part-time temp somewhere and is never available to hang out with the person, right? That's the avoidant that they're like so craving and into. And then you have like, the other guy who like owns a condo in Brooklyn and like has a reputable accounting business and is early for every date and tells the woman how much he likes her, but you know, no spark or whatever excuse they want to put out there. And that's, you know, it's so obvious to me because I went down that path myself. Um, and I'm still very interested if you have any tools or anybody knows how to help communicate and light a fire under those people to like wake up to the truth because I found a lot of resistance when trying to show people this method. And I think the best thing is like, here's the book attached, here's some stuff that I've written, read it, and then like, see if you can let it land. But what fascinates me is how deep this desire goes, like to a level where I see women and, and also men, but especially women be single for a decade or multiple decades, trying to find this phantom avoidant guy who maybe becomes less avoidant over time, um, rather than go enjoy a secure relationship. And so that's the thing is like, I just plead people to have an open mind and an open right. heart to, to someone who might feel boring. Or the other thing is, you know, a lot of people, I would say 90 plus percent of families have some level of dysfunction in them. So we kind of crave what we had as a child in order to replicate that. There are many different analyses of psychology that, that show that. So it's very comfortable and, you know, even uh, to just want, someone who, for example, is similar to your father or just replicates the marriage that your parents had because that's what you know. And exactly. That's what, you that's what you're thinking. familiar with. Yes. You're attracted yeah. to what you're familiar with, whether you realize it or not. So true. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you have so many people there, you know, blaming their partner. They're saying, oh my God, they did this, they did that. So well, why, why are you choosing to date people like this? And why? And then you set them up with someone great. And then they say, oh, you know, there was just no spark. So that's what four is, is really making a big push to encourage people to be open-minded to letting in that security and that what may seem boring initially, but could be the foundation of a really powerful, secure, long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Uh, number five, have a flexible view of relationships. Focus less on finding a partner based on age or looks and instead focus on their emotional availability and how they treat you. Yep. Ties right into yeah. number four. Ties and right it's in. Basically, it's basically sort of just countering and anticipating objections that I'm going to get on number four, which is they'll say, oh, okay, Brandon, I, I understand what you're saying about secure versus avoidant. Um, and I met this guy and he's secure and he's great. 
but I'm not attracted to him. And, and so that's interesting is obviously there has to be some level of physical attraction. You don't want to just date someone who repulses you. Um, but on the other hand, I think age, uh, physical appearance, job, money, status, these are all excuses that we s- claim to rather than just owning up to the truth, which is this person's secure and they're going to make me feel vulnerable and be vulnerable and be emotionally open and available. And that really scares me and threatens me. And I'd rather date this guy who's avoidant, who I know is going to be at an arm's length. And while I'm going to be trying to pull him in all the time, I kind of know it's not going to work out. Or even if it does work and we date, it's going to be casual and and I'm less likely to get hurt because I know what this is going in and I don't have to really show up as my true self. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Great way to put it. (laughs) So, yeah. So basically rather than just be honest and say that you'll hear, Oh, they're not my type. I like blondes, (laughs) not brunettes. I like red, not blondes. It's like, is that really what intimacy is about? Like the color of a hair, which could be changed in like five minutes. With, Thank you, you know, very much. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, is that really what you're creating? Is that your relationship vision on a deep level? No, <laughs> but it's an easy way to not have to face what's inside yourself and, and the fear, the vulnerability, the potential overwhelm of having to show up and, and be in a type of relationship like that. So people will make excuses and that's just another way to remind them this is probably not about age or looks. And it's probably more about having an inflexible view and using these uh, criteria as excuses. Yeah. Perfect. Um, number six, be a hundred, be yourself a hundred percent. The right person will unconditionally love and accept you exactly as you are. Yeah, so this one is all about kind of you're going to attract the, a person based on how you're behaving. So going back to the, the the dating advice that I don't agree with, which says, hey, women, don't be too needy. Um, you know, you, you're not going to be attractive to men or you're not going to appeal to them and you don't want to overwhelm them. So let's say you take a woman and she's not very needy and she's more like cold and distant and trying to be independent and, and uh, like be more alone. She's going by putting that energy out there and behaving in that way. And while dating, you're going to attract an avoidant man. Mm -hmm. And then over time, what happens is inevitably you revert to your real self. And that man will see that because you can't act forever. It's just too exhausting. And you're going to get frustrated. You're going to want more closeness. You're going, your needs will come out. And then you're going to wind up in this awful situation where he was his true self from day one. You weren't. So that's why the pair bond happened. Now you've become more of your true self. And then you realize there's no real bond that can exist between you because you want more closeness and he doesn't. And now you're in this really painful situation where you could potentially have two people who are in love, but it's not a really healthy long-term relationship. So that's why it's very important to show up and be authentic, especially in the beginning, because you, it, and, and this is another thing is people are afraid to scare off potential partners by being them true selves. But it's so important to scare people off. You want to scare off people because what you're doing is you're scaring away the wrong people for you. Right. I used to do this in my business where I made a decision that I was only going to be a high performance coach working with people who had the resources and the ability to commit with me or even just work with corporations exclusively. And I remember initially I charged like $150 an hour. Then I went to 250. Then I went to like three, like a thousand for three calls. So 333 an hour. Then you know, it was like step by step by step all the way up the ladder to now, you know, I do like a 20 K coaching program for like a few months of working with me, but you also get 
access to my team and content. So it's a whole big thing with a live event. But I remember when I first started to raise my prices and I went to like $400 an hour, for example, and someone emailed me and, Hey, I want, you know, I want to do a call with you. And I said, I don't really do like one-off calls with people, but I work monthly. I will, however, do a one call with you, um, 400. And they wrote me back and they were like, Oh no, that's like way out of my budget. And, and it was hard to get those no's and chase away people. But that was a person who I did not want as a client. Like they could not afford my services. I was moving on. I had no time in my life. I was violating my own boundaries for self-care and having space and freedom on my own calendar. And so what, what you might see is people, for example, you have a very attractive person and they're, they're used to just getting yeses all the time, right? And they almost like rely on those yeses for approval and for feeling good about themselves. And now I'm saying, go on these dates and tell them you want kids and then you want to get married within three years and that you want a big house and you want to go move to the suburbs and that you want this and you want to talk every day. Yeah. And, and they're like, are you kidding me? I will never find a guy who's going to want that. And I said, truth is probably more the minority of single men, right? Because we said in the dating pool, it's more avoidance than secures. But wouldn't you rather have get a bunch of no's, but then find someone you can spend your life with than just have like instant gratification of avoidant men saying they like you because you're hiding what you really want. And then winding up in multi-year painful relationships where you're not getting your needs met and all the therapy or coaching or misery that goes into that. Is that what you want? And then they're like, all right, fine. And then, you know, it's a process to open up and be, it's again, it's come back to being vulnerable, but the more authentic you can be, the more you will attract the right type of people. And it's the same thing with my business. The more authentic I was about what I wanted to do with my career. And I started to tell all the Wall Street people because I had people call me up. Oh, Brendan, we'll bring you in. You can, this is your annual salary. He's throwing huge numbers at me. And I was like, no, I would never do that. It's so, it would be so miserable, like having to wear clothes that are uncomfortable and sit in an office for FaceTime and do work that's not meaningful to me. Absolutely not. And so what that does is it pushes away the wrong type of people and it just only lets in the ones that I really want to be around. And that's why I've been able to cultivate and surrounded by good friends and great clients and my girlfriend. So it's all kind of working out. Oh, that's great. Good example. Um, Number seven, your happiness does not rely on another person. If you find yourself feeling empty or unfulfilled, explore your internal world and heal it from within. Yes. So this is kind of a little outside the scope of attached, but I put it in here because the only qualm I have with attached is it is very much focused on, hey, if you're anxious, go find a secure and then all of life's problems will be solved. And you have to keep in mind that even secure people are not perfect. I like to call them normies, but I would also say that they're absolutely not perfect. And in fact, um, I was in a relationship, I would say maybe a year or two ago, it was like fall 2016. Yeah, I think, or I don't know. It was like, it was a while ago, but it was, it was, she was very secure. And um, I was talking to a relationship coach and he said, look, Brendan, um, even secure people, like she could have an anxious side. And when she gets anxious, she's going to need you to step up and be secure and not be avoidant. Um, and we had like our only fight that we'd ever had because she was so secure in months and months of dating. And I was overwhelmed and I became avoidant and I actually ended the relationship. And, you know, no regrets, whatever you learn, learn from that experience. But when I look back on that, I say, wow, mm. you know, that is where the inner work comes in. 
and it, I find it to be an important balance because attached says, you know, just find the right partner. It'll solve a lot of problems, which I agree. But then the other component is, you know, you got to do your own inner work too. Absolutely. Because, because what I find is it's very hard to just say that person's all anxious and that person's all avoidant and that person's all secure. Um, everyone is some kind of combination of the three, in my opinion. And now I'm dating someone who's predominantly secure and it's amazing, but she, like me, is still working through some anxious. So that can be triggering and difficult. And that's where I need to step up and be secure and learn how to reassure myself from time to time. Um, you know, so, so that's kind of part of the inner work, but again, just keeping in mind that yeah, even if you're avoiding anxious, whatever you're dating a secure person, your happiness doesn't rely on that other person. If you're feeling empty and unfulfilled, it's really important to go inside yourself, have your own activities. It's kind of, again, a balance with attached, which is like, you know, have some level of independence and happiness, a meaningful career, good friends, meetups, whatever you're doing so that you're not, because even a secure person who can give you a lot, can't dedicate their whole life to you. And you have to learn how to uh, find some from your own happiness yourself. That's so true. And I did a lot of inner work. Um, once I realized how anxious I was dating, it just was, uh, I was forced to just start reflecting gratitude journal meditation, the whole bit. And now I have my first I'm in my first long-term relationship right now, and um, I know, yay. And he's like, um, we were talking about this, and he goes, I feel like you are totally secure, Peggy. And I'm like, mm -hmm. uh-oh, really? <laughs> and he joked, he goes, I feel like I'm a little of everything. <laughs> but he goes, but I, he goes, I love the fact that um, because you are secure, it, it, like, relaxes him, and it makes him feel more secure um and so it's it's definitely it's nice because it is it is possible to do that inner work and grow and then and then now we're kind of just it's so beautiful because we can just grow both together so mm -hmm. yeah it feels so good that's so beautiful when you have two people you may have been and, and i think a lot of people who were anxious and then read attached and do all that just reading attached like shoots you way out of the secure mode into or into or out of the anxious mode because just having this awareness is like a massive aha moment because just selecting a secure partner which it sounds like you've done even though he may say he's all three like i bet you there's a lot of secure in him the way that you think you're still very anxious but you know there's a, or he at least says and i believe him that there's a lot of secure in you mm -hmm. and so I, I think that people, when they work through these things and they read attached and they build this awareness, they're actually a lot more secure than they give themselves credit for. And I always say that, you know, with my girlfriend now too, she's, you know, loves how secure I apparently am. And it's like, okay, that's good. <laughs> um, and and I, I think it's fantastic how secure she can be for me and knowing what my triggers are. And, you know, again, it's like, the other thing is when you're, if you're anxious and you're dating a secure um, you're still going to get your uh, anxious attachment system activated. There's an example in the book where there's a guy and he's traveling on business. He calls his girlfriend. He's anxious. She's secure. He calls her, doesn't pick up. He calls her cell phone again. And then boom, the click, you know, it's like, I'm screening you. Oh, and then yeah. he, he goes into that panic mode and his system is fully activated. Um, and she's in a work meeting, but because she's secure and she knows him and, and she takes her phone on the desk and says, 
I'm sorry. I'm in a work meeting right now. I can't text you, but I'll call you right after and I miss you. And that's like the, ooh, and then he can exhale. And it's like, you know, that's just really powerful to have a partner like that who can, you know, understand what your triggers are because being anxious goes to your childhood. It goes to your relationship with your primary caregivers and essentially them not being available for you in, in the way that you would have wanted. That's to some degree, I mean, not every person who's anxious, but that's often related in some way. And so essentially what you're doing is you're dating someone who you're basically like, where's mommy, where's daddy? And they're like, I can't hug you right now, but I am right here and everything is okay and you're safe. And it's like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. great. It feels awesome. It's, it's great to know that you're there. And because in attached, I don't know if you remember this, but the, the main study was babies playing with toys in a room. Oh, that's right. Mother. Yeah, mother's in the corner and uh, the baby's playing with the toys. The mother comes over for a little bit, but then goes back and they're not even really touching. Um, the mother leaves the room and the baby starts bawling out, crying hysterically. Mother comes back to the room. Baby sees the mother there crawls over, gets the hug for one minute, but then goes back to the toys and prefers actually the toys, but just looks over her shoulder every couple of minutes just to know that mommy's there. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what this is. And we're all adults, but it's really like, you know, to just own this and be like, look, I didn't have the uh, love that I d deserved or craved as a child. So this is something that I'm working through. And I'm choosing to be with a partner who can just let me know that they're available to me and a secure person has no problem doing that like they're happy to avoidant obviously it's another story and i say run from avoidance at all costs but it's really uh you know it's really <laughs> powerful just to you know it doesn't take a secure person much to just send that message they enjoy doing it they're happy to do it um but again to just circle back to this list we were just finishing number seven which is even if you're dating is secure it's not the full picture, I, I do encourage people to, like you said, gratitude journal, find hobbies they enjoy and things of that nature. So um, I'm looking at our time. I don't know if we'll even have time to do eight, nine or 10, um, but um, they'll definitely be on my podcast notes. And um, do you, um, at the end of the show, I'm going to ask how listeners find you will you have access to this on your do you have access to this list on your website oh, absolutely okay yeah, so if you if you go to brendanhburns.com um i'll run the home page and you just scroll down you'll see some blog posts but i just put this up last week i was in john gottman's relationship training program and i had my computer there so i was throwing together some blog posts and on my home page if you scroll down there's a blog post that says 10 relationship tools for those with an anxious attachment style and if you just click on that the full list is right there. Okay, perfect, perfect. Because, yeah, this um, has been so awesome. Is there, what are any final thoughts on any of this while we, since we have to wrap up soon? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just really important to know what your, uh, your style is. So whether it's anxious, avoidant, or secure. Um, if you don't know, if you kind of have an idea, most people know like immediately they're like, oh yeah, I'm that. Like when I tell this to women, especially it's like right away you get the, oh, I'm anxious. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's very common <laughs> women and men, you see a lot of avoidance. Um, so, but if you pick up the book attached, you'll see there's a quiz in there and you can take that quiz and it'll tell you pretty quickly, uh, not only which style you are, but also I would explore uh, who are you subconsciously choosing as partners. Um, so to understand that framework, 
say, oh, wow, I'm avoidant and I'm choosing anxious women. And that's why there's all these problems happening. Or um, I'm anxious and I'm choosing avoidance. And that's why I'm always miserable. Maybe I can, and, and in the book, and you'll see on my website too, there's some strategies for how to become more secure yourself. And then also dating a secure person, because once you can kind of get a handle on what your old pattern was and say, okay, this is where I want to go directionally moving forward. Just knowing that is going to be very eye-opening and can really just really change your life because uh, whether or not you're in a relationship and then the quality of a relationship, if you're in one really determines your happiness in life on many levels and can hurt or help your work and your mindset. So this is really important stuff. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So yeah. one question I ask, my signature closing question is, um, Brendan, what makes you feel most alive? Uh, I think it's really working with people uh, on, on stuff like this. I, I think what makes me most alive is when someone comes to me or I'm hosting an event, like I'm hosting uh, a, an event in Costa Rica in May and I'm doing a live event in New York in about a month and, or whether I'm just talking to someone one-on-one -on -one who's like really open and wants change in their life and they um, kind of trust me and, and work with me and are committed to making these changes and, and I can share stuff with them that has helped me see more happiness and joy and money and travel and everything I've been able to do. And to be able to share that with people who are like really interested in it is really, I would say is that. Mm, I love it. You're truly living your passion. Love to see that. <laughs> I, I try and it's like, it's cliche, but it works. Like every time <laughs> I read that next book or I meditate or I do one more thing, get a new client or get, you know, I'm going to the Super Bowl and I'm flying down to Atlanta on Thursday. I'm going to be at the Super Bowl. It's like, this stuff works. You, you pain and crying and the inner work, it can be challenging at times, but in my opinion, it's so worth it. Mm, that's awesome. So again, where can people find you? Yeah. So like I mentioned before, my website is Brendan H. Burns, B-R-E-N-D-A-N-H Burns.com. Uh, and from there, you can see my podcast and my webinars and all, all the stuff we talked about, including that blog post, if you scroll down with the 10 relationship tools for anxious attachment style people. And it's the same thing on Instagram. It's at Brendan H. Burns on Instagram. Um, I post a lot there, a lot of personal development videos and quotes. And so you can find more there as well. Fabulous. Well, and um, I am, um, I just want to thank you so much for your time. It's been so much fun. Um, in the future, I'd love to have you on again. We can talk about all sorts of things. I recently saw, I think, on one of your podcasts, um, uh, Masculine and Feminine Energy. Yes. That was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> so shout out for that. It's so funny. So good friend of mine, Mike Goldstein, he's called the Easy Dating Coach, which I think is kind of how we met through his, he invited me into that relationship Facebook group. Yes, yes. Uh, and Mike, I had originally reached out to, he came on my podcast, we had a blast. And then he invited me on his YouTube show. And it was a YouTube live where people were asking questions as we were going and women are like, Oh, how do I do this and not chase him away? And it was really fun. And it came out so well that I was like, let's get this up on my own podcast. So my listeners can hear this one too. And it, it just, I was like, wow, I, I had a listener send me an email about how much she enjoyed that episode with bullet points of the takeaways from that episode. And it's in my email inbox because I want to like read that over again, because even though I understand this stuff intellectually, it's definitely not, um, I'm not living all of it. Right. Like, so it's like good to hear my own 
words and obviously listen to other people too. But yeah, thank you for checking out the masculine feminine energy. That that is a huge thing that I could go on for our own another episode if you ever want to do a round two. Yeah, no, I would love to. And thank you, Nick, from Cloud Studios. Appreciate it. And as for me, I'm the Love Clarity Coach and a couple different ways you can work with me. One is through matchmaking and the other is through my coaching where I've created the eight steps to manifesting the love you desire. You can contact me at straighttotheheart.net. Thanks so much and have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Lastly, if you're looking to take your personal life, business, or career to the next level, and you want access to me as well as my community of like-minded people, head over to courses.brendanhburns.com and join us in Mastery Academy, my membership site that comes with online course content as well as live coaching calls every two weeks hosted by me personally. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.